Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, or almost always joined, by the misty, mature, and in many ways, Mary, Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? In in many ways, Mary? I don't even know if I'm Mary in one way at this point, Chris. Really? What's wrong, oh, man? Oh, I've, I've had a month. I've had a month. I'm, I'm not – I'm just coming off of whatever flu – black death i caught <laughs> and so i am feverish and and tired and cross-eyed but other than that chris life is life is good good i'm glad to hear it i'm glad to hear it well we're going to talk about npcs today we might have talked about npcs in the past but we're going to do it again with a bit of a new spin i suppose but before we get to that we're going to do some announcements so uh first thing wizards presents the order domain so do you want to go into that I, I read I read all the stuff that's in here today, so you know we can chat about it and listen to it all too because you were on a podcast. Cool, yeah, uh, yeah. The order domain was uh, the next thing from Wizards that they put up in their Unearthed Arcana uh, location on their website, and so I just thought we haven't really talked specific rules in a while, so I thought it'd be good to to kind of mull this over for just a few minutes. Yeah, let's do that. So the order domain uh, represents discipline as well as a service to a society or an institution, whether that service is rendered in obedience to or enforcement of the law, civil, religious, or both. So that's the background of this, uh, of this domain, what it's supposed to capture. So when it comes to this, we should be looking at mechanics that pretty much go along with everything that Sean just said. Yep. Now, I've said this before, but I will reiterate it. When you create new rules content for the game, there's really three things, at least when I create what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make something that is a cool to play, you know, really flavorful within the game. Mm -hmm. B something that is well balanced. Um, and last but not least fun. So, you know, make sense within the game, be balanced, be fun to play. So I, as we go through this, I'm going to kind of bring up those points you know, as we go. So, so the first thing I, I saw, the first thing I thought when I saw this was, hmm, the order domain. Isn't there already a law domain? Um, and if so, do we need both? Well, is there a law domain? I'm not sure if there is, is there one? I, I thought for sure there was, but I may be wrong. And that's something that I will, uh, look at as, as we go through. So, uh, so that, that, anyway, you know, that's the first thing I thought of was, do we need this? Is this something that's necessary, uh, and, and important for the game to add? Uh, so we, we can discuss that after we go through all the other stuff. So you want to hit level one? Sure. Let's talk about level one. Although it looks like there is a law domain. Law, a law domain exists. I'm not sure what book it's from though. That's the problem. I don't know where it comes from. We'll figure that out real quick. It might be homebrew, so therefore this is, this might be the more official thing. Okay. All right. Anyways, level one. Uh, you get proficiency with heavy armor. That's a that's a very cleric thing, right? Yes. Yep. But then there's this thing called voice of authority. Immediately after you cast a spell on an ally using a spell slot of first level or higher, that ally can use their reaction to make one weapon attack against a target of your choice that you can see. 
I think this is a neat spell, uh, or ability, I should say. I mean, it has to be on an ally, it has to be a spell slot of first level or higher, so no cantrips, and then it allows them to use their reaction to make one weapon attack against a target of your choice that you can see. I feel like this makes the, um, makes, makes the cleric the rogue's best friend in a lot of ways. Right. It's, it's your warlordy, I, I do something and oh, by the way, you can do something too. Uh huh. And it always has to be on a target, on, on an ally too, so you can't actually like cast an attack spell and do this either. So it's very much a support kind of thing that will allow you to, uh, get some damage out of your support. Mm hmm. And because I, I went and looked, um, sneak attack is once per turn. So this is, since this is a different turn, um, I feel like this makes the, you, you the rogue's best friend. Yep. Uh, that's what fourth edition was like with the warlord and the, and, you know, a rogue ally. It was just keep getting that sneak attack bonus damage over and over and over again on everyone's turn, you know, as you, uh, as you find ways to let the rogue attack each turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell me about level two? So level two, as with most cleric, uh, domains is the channel divinity. This one allows you to charm creatures as if you would turn undead. So you do it, uh, rather than making undead fear you, you are charming, uh, all targets within 30 feet of you. So not horribly broken, uh, a little powerful, I would say, depending on how your DM rules how charm works. Um, now there are more specific rules than there have been in previous editions for charm. Uh, charm, the charm condition is you can't attack the, the creature that charmed you, uh, unless you, you are harmed by them or their allies and they will have, uh, advantage to any social interaction with you if you are charmed. Yeah. Now, Let's, let's talk about that for a second. I, I think this is kind of neat. I think it can, it's, it's got some, um, some crazy utility to it as far as, uh, as far as how this goes, right? Like, because it doesn't say what this previous state of the person that you're dealing with has to be. It just says that they are charmed. Mm-hmm. So you could be fighting a whole bunch of people and then all of a sudden, like, you realize you're way outnumbered and you charm everybody. Yes. And then everybody's charmed. And as long as nobody does any, now, on the bright side, it's only you that are charmed. It's only, it's only them, you've only charmed them compared to you, like not your allies. So that's a right. thing to remember. Um, it's really supposed to be intended, I think, for like dealing with large groups of people, like not, right. not in a fight, but more in a uh, social setting. Right. And, and that's why it really turns out to be how is the DM going to allow you, you to use it? Mm-hmm. Because you can say you're in the middle of a combat. Boom! I I do this now. All these creatures around me are charmed. Uh, as the DM, I can say, "Well, great. They won't attack you, but they're still going to attack your friends no matter what." It's a very much better version of Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they, there's no saving throw, right? You're just charmed, right? And no one's going to attack you if you charm them. Or B, the the DM can turn it into a combat ender oh since you've charmed them you know these four dragons that were attacking you are all going to stop yeah because because all of your companions are huddled around you although it just it can change the nature of the combat right like oh look we can't we can't breathe on you because we can't breathe on these these foul beasts because you were standing there and you were a friend right like oh no yeah so it's 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 one of those weird 
things that are, it's going to get played a lot differently from table to table. That's all. Um, and it's, it's cool. Uh, I understand how it fits into the domain that it's, you know, it's, uh, supporting. So we'll, we'll call it, you know, thumbs up with a, with a little hesitation based on, uh, table variants. Yeah. And of course, charm doesn't, everything can't be charmed. Like constructs can't be charmed. Certain creatures can't be charmed. So like there's a, there's some built in stuff there, but definitely for humanoids and whatnot, it's a, it's pretty interesting. Like I think it'll create some interesting play, um, stuff in, in, out there. Yeah. And, and as a channel divinity, you can't do it every round. You know, it, you can only do it once or twice per, per day. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's not too powerful in that sense. Yeah. All right, let's talk about level six, uh, Orders Dominion. So when you cast a spell of the Enchantment School using a spell slot of second level or higher, you regain one expended spell slot. Now, this becomes interesting when you combine it with Voice of Authority. Voice of Authority was somewhat tempered because you only um, you can only use it when you cast a leveled spell, uh, first level or higher. So that automatically limits it. But... Now you, if you continue just to cast enchantment spells, you are constantly getting your spell slots back. So you can do an enchantment spell, have the voice of authority allow someone else to attack, and you get a spell slot back and you can do it again and again and again and again, and it never runs out. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the, the limiting factor of you're using a spell slot with voice of authority is diminished now. By adding this, I'm not saying it's overpowered. It's just something to be aware of. So there's an, there's another rider caveat on this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you cast a spell, one, it can't be higher than fifth level. Mm-hmm. And two, once you cast that spell, the spell slot that you regain has to be of a lower level and it has to be of the school of enchantment that you cast the spell from. Right. So there's a, there's a couple of limiting factors that make it not quite as um useful as it could be, but it's still right. very useful. It's going to give you a lot more spell slots. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um so it's just it's in terms of flavor, it's not evocative at all. It's not like, ooh, this is something really cool that I'd see in a movie. Uh but, you know, m- game mechanically wise, it, it makes sense. You are you are all about Law and order. You're about people obeying you. So this enchantment spell, you can do over and over and over again. Yeah, I think that's actually very evocative and flavorful because it's driving you to a certain kind of play, right? I mean, the act of doing it. It's not a big, splashy, cinematic thing. It's a very game mechanical thing. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so here's a thing that we never really talk about when it comes to design, Sean. And maybe it's something that we should at some point. Like, when you have a mechanic that isn't um, directly affecting how play proceeds, but is influencing how play will go in the future. Mm-hmm. So like this ability will make you probably pick up a bunch of enchantment spells that will drive the way that you play your character. Sure. Which will flavor your character in a certain way. And that is a very, that's a thing we don't always talk about on the show, right? Like mm-hmm. um, a mechanic that drives play. It's, it's sort of like how, uh, it's one of the reasons why I have kind of a hard time with, um, exploration and interaction in as pillars of play in D D because there's not a really a good set of mechanics to drive play that way we have right. to do a lot of hand wavy stuff mm-hmm. but a mechanic like this actually um drives a character to play a particular way i i totally agree with you uh i'm just coming at it from the headspace of i'm sitting down to teach a player to play D who's never played before oh yeah that that 
that's not what this is about. Yeah, you know, th- this isn't something where they would say, "Ooh, you know what I want? I want to be able to cast a spell over and over again that lets people do what I tell them to do." You know, th- this is just it's it's perfectly fine as a mechanic. Um it's just on a sk- you know, on the wow scale of visualizing a cool, you know, a, a cool mechanic, it's not high on that yeah, list. It doesn't do that at all. Right. I see what you're saying. I think right. design, to, to do design really well, especially for a character class, you need to do both. Mm-hmm. You need to have wild stuff and you need to have stuff that drives you to a certain style of play. Yeah. It's kind of how the... um. It's it's kind of how the rogue has all the the bonus actions, right? That drives right. the rogue to feel like they're very, they have a bunch of options at their disposal. They're very cl- quick and clever and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like right. that that's a little bit of a wow factor, but it's not that much because it's like, well, I have to choose one of these things to use for my reaction, right? And how those things proceed forward as they level up, like, yeah. and that's kind of like how like wizards only have like f- so many hit points per level that that drives a certain kind of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like the, the things we never think about, but they actually do a lot for, for play style and, and feel. Right. I mean, th- this is, this is an important thing. It's just a bookkeeping thing, you know, resource management thing rather than action at, you know, on the grid thing. That's Ooh. all. Oh, here, here's what I'm trying to say. I think this, you're right about that. It's sort of a bookkeeping resource management thing, but it will use other mechanics within the game to flavor how this mechanic works. Mm hmm. Because it's pushing towards enchantment spells. Oh yeah, I mean, I I'm not trying to knock it. I'm not trying to say it's less than uh, good b- because of it. It's just you know, if if you're if you're looking at things in terms of the different aspects of play, this is definitely heavily favored toward that resource management, bookkeeping aspect. That's all. I mean, I actually we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one because it, it pushes on that part of the game because mm-hmm. D is, is pretty much a resource management game. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, all with a, with a random die roller at times to, uh, that you're trying to modify, but the way that it's pushing it, it's not saying you get, you get, um, it's basically saying be an enchanter mm-hmm. and you get more stuff. Right. So go be an enchanter. Yep. It's definitely pushing, the character to advance in a in a specific way for sure let's do divine strike is it me or is it you i can't remember i'll i'll do next sure. uh yeah divine strike basically almost all of the uh, clerical domains have this which is on each of your turns when you hit with a weapon attack you do extra force damage to the target in this case it's force for certain uh other domains that might be necrotic or radiant uh but in this case you hit with a weapon attack, do an extra D8 force damage. Nothing groundbreaking there. It's what most of these domains have. Yeah. I mean, this one, let's do the, the next one because it kind of ties into it. Level 17, Order's Wrath. Yep. If you deal your Divine Strike damage to a creature, that creature takes an extra 2D8 force damage the first time each turn that any ally of yours hits it with a weapon attack. And this benefit lasts until the start of your next turn. Mm-hmm. I think that these are throwaways because the first two are so powerful. Because mm-hmm. they, they scale really well, right? Right. Because the first one, Voice of Authority, scales with all the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, as, as every character around you gets more powerful, that ability gets more powerful. Right. And then um, the one where you're casting spells, that gets more powerful as you get more powerful, too. And In fact, until you're level 11. Is it 11 or 12 where you cast fifth level? It's level 11 that you cast fifth level spells, I think, yep. right? Yep. Or is it nine? I can't remember. I think oh. first... 
third, fifth, seventh, yeah, ninth, ninth level. Yeah. Ninth. And then, of course, you get more spell slots for your fifth level spells at that point, too. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. those things scale so well that it doesn't matter that these powers are kind of weaker on the back end because you're getting more juice from your, uh, your first two, uh, your, your level one and your level, uh, six ability. Yeah, at first I thought, wow, this is real powerful. And then I realized, well, no, because you have to A, hit with a weapon attack, B, use your divine strike successfully, you know, C, everyone then can do this extra damage, but they have to do it with a, their weapon attack of their own. So there goes spellcasters and, and, you know, other people who damage or change the, uh, change the battlefield in other ways don't gain any benefit from this so it's you know it's okay yeah and it's not really a lot more damage no at 17th level doing nine extra points of damage the first time you hit isn't isn't all that strong yeah especially when the other thing is way cooler when you're like hey rogue i cast a spell on you attack again and do your sneak attack damage which at that point is like you know an extra 10d6 damage sure so, I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about, everybody, when I'm talking about scaling powers. Yeah. So, and when you see weaker, higher level things, it's usually because the f- lower level stuff scales really well. Mm-hmm. All right. So, that's us talking about rules for once. Um, I think this is pretty neat. I like that it drives towards a thing. I th- I wish – I kind of wish that, like, the enchanter thing had the enchanter power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why doesn't – why – like, this, this cleric class is a better enchanter than the enchanter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That seems like a problem. I'm glad it's an Unearthed Arcana article because it, to me, it just, it's okay. It's not great. It doesn't, you know, it gets three out of three and a half out of five stars for all three categories that I put it in. I would play the garbage out of this. This, this class would be tons of fun for me to play as an enchanter because I would get to cast a billion spells. Yeah. I mean, if, if you definitely want to play an enchantment type of character, and want to play a cleric, then this works. Um, I would have rather call it the enchantment domain than the order domain. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, I don't see another law domain and I was a hundred percent sure there was. So there, there goes Sean Brain. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's okay. I think that I would rather see them redo it, keep the cool stuff and kind of make it make it at least a four out of five on all three scales rather than a 3.5 out of five. That's just me. I'm I'm with you. I mean, like I think it's very powerful Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's flavored correctly to what I'm with you. I don't think it's flavored correctly to what they're saying. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, if it comes out of redevelopment and becomes any stronger for it. And please let us know what your thoughts are out there in listener land about the design of this thing. I'd I'd be very interested to hear it. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the Adventures League website content. So um, since Lisa Chen, who is going to be at the Queen City Conquest, which is kickstarting currently, by the way, if you want to come out to Buffalo and play some games with me and some other folks, uh, Sean unfortunately won't be there, but I will. Uh, we would love to have you. Anyways, Lisa will be there too. And since Lisa Chen has joined the uh, the AL team, there's been a new article up each week on the D&D Adventures League website, and there's been all kinds of great stuff, including multi-store events, streaming, virtual tabletops, drawing maps, tailoring adventures, convention games, all kinds of stuff. Um, I think I actually went and read a bunch of these articles too, Sean. These, these have been great stuff. I really like the one about streaming, about mm-hmm. how uh, there was a, a gentleman who did a lot of homebrew type stuff, and then he started streaming, but he started playing AL content. And his um, chat 
room is like, please rules lawyer us so that we aren't playing the game wrong. Like that is, that's kind of how they go about that. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, all of these articles, even though they're only on the Adventures League website, uh, even if you don't play Adventurers League, they're really good information. Mm-hmm. So uh, check those out. And really, for me, this is what organized play is all about, right? It's it's not just sitting at the table and playing the game, but it's bringing to bear all the best minds from the community to share, give their takes on things, to share their expertise, and to grow the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were on a podcast, the Newbie DM Minicast, Episode 5, some guy talking about helping new players. Yeah. You were on to talk about a tricky topic, how to help a player having trouble with their character's rules when you aren't all that familiar with their character either. So what did, what did you have to say about that in brief and then tell them where to go get the, uh, get the podcast? Yeah. Well, yeah. Enrique Bertrand, uh, who is the newbie DM has this, uh, podcast now called the Minicast on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. We love them. We do. And so he contacted me and said, would you come on? We only t- uh, record for about 10 minutes. And here's the topic. Uh, someone asked about rules if if the player doesn't know the rules of their character and you're really not sure how do you handle that so you know we talked real briefly about either you know if it's a home campaign having a session zero so you know what the players are going to be playing and you can kind of help them out if they're new or uh if you're new the best way to learn and then transfer that knowledge to players and we went into topics like uh using something like the video game play tutorial where you do the basic things to get uh, acclimated with the controls before you jump into the real action um kind of doing that on a smaller scale with your rpg mm-hmm. uh, so and before we spoil the whole podcast you probably shouldn't right because it's only 10 minutes long <laughs> i'm not going to so i would say you should go listen to it i listened to it it was great it was a good show sean i, I you we always have very insightful things to say so Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And like, yeah, 10 minutes long and you can just go to the don't split the podcast network.com and look up the mini cast and you can find it there. We also have a link in the show notes, uh-huh. but to me, I, I wish I could have talked about it more because I've heard people from wizards, Jeremy Crawford being one of them saying that when he DMs, whether it's with his home group or you know, at, at a convention in public game store, or whatever, he really doesn't know all the player rules you know this is the dude who basically made the the game and edited the rules uh he doesn't know them all he counts on his players to know them so you know this is a topic that all dms need to think about especially if you're going to really go hardcore dming and and run um run stranger run games for strangers in public um you know how much do you need to know how much do you trust the players to uh understand what they're playing you know it's uh it's an important topic so do you want to talk about this next week then (laughs) why not chris all right well we have we have a topic for next week y'all y'all heard it here first we're going to talk about what to do when a player is having trouble with their character rules and you aren't all that familiar either there you go and stuff around that all right and uh, our last thing for today is uh james hake on best adventures for a new dm why don't you tell me about it sean well i have to say thank you to james because i was uh looking at the DMs Guild, my sales, and all of a sudden, Defiance and Flan, the first adventure that I wrote for the Adventures League, started to get a bunch of sales. And, you know, normally you get one or two sales in a day, so it's not a big deal. But then when you see a big jump, you're like, wow, what happened? And what happened was James mentioned Defiance and Flan as one of the two perfect adventures for new DMs and players. 
And so I want to say thank you for, uh, to James for mentioning that. Um, it's a really good article that he wrote about if you're a new DM and have new players, some things to highlight and some, uh, good tips for, for running those adventures. And all of the content that's been coming out for D and D beyond from James Hake, from Mike Shea, from James Intercasso, from Todd Kenrick, um, all of these articles have been great. So we've mentioned these before, but if you haven't taken the time to check those out yet, please do so. It's on D and D beyond right on the front page of D and D beyond. It'll give you a list of all of them that have been come out, been coming out recently. Yeah, it's pretty stellar stuff over there. It really is. Yep. All right. Let us get to our main topic for the evening, which is NPCs. Lead us in, buddy. All right. So w- whether you're talking about creating a world or campaign or an adventure or even just creating an encounter, NPCs are going to be important for a variety of reasons and on a variety of levels. If you can make a great NPC, you can make uh, an unforgettable adventure or an unforgettable encounter. Players will always remember that NPC for some reason. Unfortunately, if you do a poor job of developing or portraying an NPC, that can also be an unforgettable experience, but not in a good way. So that's why NPCs are very important. So let's step back and get literary for just a second. Oh, yes. Let's talk about flat characters and round characters. Uh-huh. So E.M. Forrester, uh, arguably one of the best novelists of all times, mm-hmm. coined the term flat characters and round characters uh, in something uh, that he wrote called Aspects of the Novel. It's really a good book. It really is. So he delineates between different representations of secondary characters in fiction. Flat characters are going to be the ones that are uncomplicated and do not change as the story unfolds. And often they will represent some ideal or trait. So they are, they are kind of the stereotype that represents greed or, or power or gluttony or whatever. It could be a good trait too, but you know, they are just there to represent something and they don't change. Round characters, even if they're not the protagonists, are generally but not necessarily more complex. But the big difference is they change as a result of the action of the story. And so the reason we bring this up is because flat characters are not necessarily bad and round characters aren't necessarily great. And when I say bad or great, I'm not talking about good or evil. I'm talking about usefulness and how important they are. Flat characters are just as important as round characters for different things. So I wanted to to put that idea in everyone's head as we now discuss NPCs in in role-playing games. So one, Chris, uh, what are NPCs used for? All right. So there's a a number of things, and let's look at it from the point of view of a typical adventure. Um, They give information. So like a tavern's barkeep is going to tell the player characters that the head of the Taylor's Guild is looking for adventurers to help her with the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're also there to direct the plot. Uh, the Taylor's Guild Master is conf- uh, founded because her tailors are disappearing at an alarming rate. Her assistant has more details in their ledgers. Uh, Sean, give me a few more. Okay. So, so far we've got, you know, they're giving information. They're going to direct the plot. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, they're there to assist the PCs in the PC's actions. Yes. So the PCs go to the assistant and he provides his ledgers, which show where everyone's disappearing from and why. So maybe the PCs need to use persuasion checks to get some secret information out of the guy, but he's there to help them help themselves. 
now, so we've got all the ways that these NPCs are, are generally helpful yep. uh, to the PCs. Now you're going to have them there hindering the PCs, mm-hmm. not necessarily as an enemy, not necessarily to fight, but someone who is going to block what the PCs are trying to do. In this case, maybe there is a new guild starting up without the guild master's knowledge. So the head of this rival guild does not know why the tailors are disappearing, but he knows that the PCs are investigating something and he thinks, oh my gosh, they're investigating this new guild, so I need to stop them. So he hires some thugs that are going to try to interfere with the PCs investigation. Oh yes. So he's, he's not there to fight. He's just there as a uh, counter to what the PCs are trying to do. Except now he's hired thugs, which are also NPCs, which are enemies to overcome, because these thugs are going to attack the player characters because they're getting paid to do so. Yep. So now we have hindering in two different ways. Hindering just in terms of plot, but now we have hindering in terms of physical violence. Do you want to talk about the next one? Sure. So NPCs also function as foils. So the City Watch arrives and will arrest everyone, not caring who started the fight or what it's about. Now, foils, they don't have to be enemies. They're just there to contrast with the protagonists. Like, in many ways, victims that the PCs help are foils. They show how powerful the PCs are. So it's, once again, that, that compare and contrast kind of thing. So, like, the City Watch, they're not these, um, the, the foil part of the City Watch is they're the law, right? And the PCs are often not the law. They're a bunch of adventurers and, in a lot of ways, um, vigilantes. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's, that's one way that they foil the, the PCs. Right. And, and the victims that the PCs are helping are also foils, technically. Uh, they're there to show what will happen if the PCs, the powerful PCs, the all-knowing PCs <laughs> don't uh, step in and save them. It lets them be heroes in a different way or lets them be, you know, like you said, yeah, it's, it's the, the power structure, right? Like yep. you're, you, you don't have class levels. So therefore you are not able to take care of yourself from these particular situations. Sure. And, you know, so, so far we've looked at NPCs, how they're helping, how they're hindering, um, you know, how they're fighting, but NPCs are also there to, to give flavor to the game and to the setting. Absolutely. So, so the city watch shows up, they arrest everyone. The PCs go to jail, say. Mm-hmm. While in jail, the PCs are going to meet other jailed folks. These folks can have a variety of stories, have information, have great entertainment value. You know, the the foreigners from outside of this land might give information that lets the PCs just get a feel for what it's like in the next kingdom over. Mm-hmm. Um, just making the world a little bit more vibrant place. Yeah, and you can... Um, flavor different parts of your, your setting based on this too. Like this is a jail and it could be, and it's probably not a long-term jail because they're getting arrested for, for whatever. And it depends on where they are too, if they're in a city or whatnot. But mm-hmm. like, like you said, that jail could be like, well, these foreign people, they got arrested because they were, they didn't have their paperwork for their tariffs for the goods that they were transporting. Right. Like, or there was a mix up or whatever. That's one thing. If it's a longer term jail, you get to take a look at the underworld and kind of what it looks like of your setting. Like that is mm-hmm. a thing that you can do. Um, for another real quick example of that, like if it's Eberron, you're going to want to do a whole bunch of different things with NPCs to flavor it to Eberron because everybody kind of has a little bit of magic at their disposal. It's, it's almost like appliances mm-hmm. and you can have other things too, because Droam exists. So monsters can just sort of sit there, which is the next thing that we're going to talk about are monsters NPCs. Of course they are. So you can have a goblin who's basically a 
guy who runs a sticky bun cart and sells sticky buns on the street on the on the corner near like your favorite tavern. Right. And he always knows stuff. Right. Yeah, Out of the Abyss showed us that a gelatinous cube can be an NPC. Uh-huh. Uh, and you might not think of that, but you give any creature that can move and interact with the PCs a personality, they are an NPC. Uh, I remember an adventure that I had to run many, many times where all of the monsters were animated furniture. <laughs> and so I sat down with a bunch of people to figure out how can you role play well and in an amusing way when there is nothing for the PCs to interact with verbally except animated furniture. So we started finding ways to give, you know, the couch a personality and the table a personality. So they could at least, while they were fighting, uh, show some sort of uh, differentiation between all of them. And so anything uh, can be an NPC if you interact with it. My favorite idea of that is interpretive dance. I'm there you go. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I can think of a few things like give them some chalk. They could, they can then draw with the chalk yeah. or put chalk on their edges. Like that would be interesting. Like you walk into a room and there's like a, 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 a desk and a hat stand and they're playing tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. for like the 8,000th time. Right. <laughs> yep. uh, interesting. So, you know, w- you you have to use whatever tools are at hand, but they are just as much an NPC as, you know, the barkeep. Tapping in Morse code's a thing, by the way, everybody. That's another way to do that with the, with animated furniture. I'm just now thinking of this animated furniture thing. It's it's kind of hilarious. Right. We, sh- we need a whole animated furniture show now, Chris. Yeah. Um. So let's move on to what makes them interesting. What makes NPCs interesting? So what's the first thing? Well, you got to start with a name. Oh, that helps. Yeah. Uh, just as a way to give an appellation that the PCs know how to refer to someone. And it's funny because some people try to avoid silly names or ones that are easily mocked. But for the most part, I just say let her rip. Uh, put down something uh, that's going to be easily memorable and they will – they being the PCs and the players will latch onto them even more. Um, the only caveat I have is make them easy to pronounce or make a nickname. If you're going to have a big, long convoluted name and that will give the players an easier grasp of, of the name. You'll often see in fiction, um, the names of characters have something to do especially last names or even first names have something to do with the function that they fulfill in the story or mm-hmm. something about them that's a thing that you can do so it's a thing to think about so you don't need your your crazy elvish long names i mean you can have them if you want but then you know figure out what the actual like common translation is and then put that there too yep so you know name them so that the the pcs will be able to remember them bob the smith probably not the best idea even if it's something you're pulling off, you know, the top of your head, uh, at least make it a little bit different so it's memorable. Yeah, but you can go like Rourke the Smith mm-hmm. or uh, Samuel the Smith or Lara the Smith. Like those aren't too bad. Right. Right. I don't know why Bob gets such a bad, bad shtick. Poor Bob. Although, but here's the thing. If you call him Bob the Smith, you can still salvage that by giving, you know, this interesting little description that includes some sort of quirk to go with it, then Bob becomes more memorable. This is true. Uh, so 
So when you do make the description, again, unless it's a very important NPC that you know you're going to be using again and again and again, keep the description as simple as possible, but always include that one thing, that one quirk that A, is memorable, and B, that you can role play easily. Uh, you know, if, if you have to turn it into a full-scale Richard III from Shakespeare, uh, hump, hunchback, dragging leg behind thing, that may be too much. But, you know, a squinty eye, um, a different pitch to the voice. A good one that I've seen people use is some notable apparel. Mm-hmm. Um, so a certain scarf, and you can actually bring the scarf throw it on and the person will then remember, Oh yeah, that's the uh, character who has that multicolored scarf or the strange hat that he wears sideways. Um, something that's a remember memorable B easy to role play. Cause you just throw a hat on your head. I'll also give you another thing about that. When you have something like that, it helps you play the character because as soon as you don that piece of whatever it helps you slip back into the character so if they're a re- recurring character it's very useful i used to play a character that was a recurring npc that had a messed up arm and whenever he would show up i would slide my left arm into my shirt so that only my hand uh was sticking out of my shirt sleeve because i always wear i often wear t-shirts mm-hmm. and that was very useful um in the case of bob the smith you can say that half of his beard is singed off there you go and never grows back mm-hmm and yeah, that's, and that's interesting. And hold, just hold a piece of paper up to your face, uh, half your face, just to get that idea across, and the players will remember that. You don't even have to do it every time. Do it the first couple of times, and and you're there. So another thing I like to do with NPCs is give them a, a reliable trait or two. Mm-hmm. So that's like something that actually affects the PCs or the game. And that's like, they're always on time or they're always late. Like that's, that's a, that's, it can go either way, right? Like you just give them one of those things. Um, maybe they, they prefer a particular kind of, uh, mm-hmm. they prefer to pay in a particular kind of way, right? Like they're always going to pay you in gems. Yep. And, and why I wrote that make it something that affects the PCs or the game is because then you establish that trait. Then when that trait changes, it becomes important. So mm-hmm. if, if the thing about the, um, this NPC is that they're always early to a meeting and they meet with the PCs three times and every time the PCs go, the person's already there waiting that fourth time when the PCs go and the NPC is not there early, you know, something's wrong and it, it enmeshes them in that game world. So you don't even need to say the thing. You're like, oh, something's wrong. Uh, Bob the Smith is not here. Mm-hmm. And he, they, Bob could even show up just like a little bit late and be a little frazzled and whatnot. And it could have nothing to do with the PCs are currently doing, but it can be a seed for something that happens later. Yep. Uh, and I think we have one more thing that I, that goes with making NPCs interesting and that's giving them a goal. Yeah. Because they're people, right? Right. You you want them to at have something they want or something that's important to them. Because as people, that's us. You know, that pretty much defines who we are. We we all want something and we're all working toward we all want many things obviously. Mm-hmm. But in the terms of the NPC here, just even if it's a pretty simple NPC, keep in mind that they have a goal. And as they in- interact with the PCs, that goal is going to be something that affects their behavior. So it could be just getting money out of the PCs. That's that's a fine goal. 
Yes, I, I agree with you. It, it can be a very simple thing like that. Like they want to be, they want money, they want fame, they want notoriety, they want um, to be left alone, they want their lives to be quiet. Whatever it is, I always think it's useful. Like if it seems really, really basic, and you want a little bit more, to ask why did they want that? Mm-hmm. Like they want money, why? Because right. they have a debt they have to pay. Sure. And they're like, oh, there's a story there, right? Yep. Yep. But you don't have to go that far. There's just a way to make them a little bit more interesting, give them a little bit more depth, turning them from a flat character into a round one, which is now what we're going to talk about. Yep. So the question is, is it worth moving NPCs from flat to round? And the answer is maybe. Um, flat characters can be just as important as round ones, right? You don't need a complex uh, personality or background or any of these things just to show, you know, that this merchant is very greedy. Uh, he's going to be the greedy merchant. He's not going to change, and that's okay. Um, but you can change them. If the PCs take a keen interest in this NPC, then it might be worth do- taking the time, uh, investing the energy into digging one level deeper on these NPCs and saying, how might they change because of the forward moving action of the story? Will it deepen the story? Will it deepen the PCs and the players interest in this story? If based on the action, this PC changes, either changes to become a better person or um, an evil person uh, who you thought was good or just change, you know, laterally to, a different um, interest, a different goal, uh, whatever. I agree. I mean, that's, I think you said everything that we needed to say on that, right? I hope so. Yeah. Here's another thing that you can do to, um, when moving from a, from a flat character to a round or even with a flat character, every time they interact. So here's the thing that we never think about with, um, with NPCs. Every time you interact with an NPC, they get more weight in in the ongoing campaign that you were playing because they come up again. <laughs> so a thing that you can think about every time they interact with, the, with an NPC is like evolving them a little bit, giving them another detail, giving them another part of, of, of themselves. Now you don't have to do that because it keeps them flat, right? But even, even if they are flat, you can still do those things like deepening that idea, whatever the idea they represent in play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or then you can start like showing off the fact that they have other things going on. And that's when you can start turning them into story hooks. So it's it's sort of like when you're reading a novel or you're watching a television show, the first time or the second time that we see a character on screen or encounter them in story, they're not as interesting as they are like the seventh or the eighth time Mm -hmm. because they've had more screen time. They've had more moments to interact. They've had more time to put out who they are and what they care about and and what they're doing. Right. And also impact um, the ongoing story. Sure. So there, uh, there's a the, the thing I want to say about that. Okay, and I'm going to bring up one more topic, Chris, just because I like to bring up the real controversial stuff and then just leave it. Mm-hmm. And that's NPCs as adventurers. What? Yes, in terms of NPCs that join the party as an adventurer. Are you talking about the DMPC? Yes and no, because sometimes it becomes the DMPC. But for me, a DMPC is is bigger than that. I'm talking about out of the abyss, where at the beginning. The party has the potential to pick up about eight NPCs that move with them throughout the story. Kill them all. This is a whole topic all to itself, but just keep in mind that 
using NPCs as adventurers within the party can be a good thing or can be a terrible thing. It's something that I think both you and I have mixed feelings about because unless the, the PCs are really willing to pick up the, the slack of them and play them as PCs, they often feel like just dead weight or worse. If the DM uses them to their full effect, they can really overshadow what the PCs are doing. However, when they're used right, they can really be an integral part of the story. They can carry a lot of the weight of a story because how the PCs interact with them and how they protect them or how they uh, use them as a plot element can be the entire story. Yes. Uh, in fact, NPCs as part of the adventuring party is like a subsection of this mm-hmm. th- this topic. Like we, like you said, we should do, we probably should do a whole show on this, like um, a show about the DMPC and it's more of a fleshed out character. And then the various levels below that, like when they adventure with you and how you handle them and how you handle the fact that it's going to create what we like to call latency in your play, because you have a character that will be an initiative order and you'll have a character that you should be paying attention to and giving some spotlight time to mm-hmm. and figuring out how to do that without taking away time from the rest of the player characters. Yep. Absolutely. That's a giant topic. Oh, it's an absolutely huge topic. But it was just when I was going through my notes, I'm like, this is kind of a big topic that's just hanging there. So we should at least mention it, even if we don't drill down into it too far. Here you go. If you really want us to talk about this, go to our Down With D&D ATI community. And uh, if, if at least 10 of you tell us we should do this topic, we'll do this topic. There you go. Let us know. Let us know. All right. Well, that's our episode on uh, NPCs and how to like, make them more interesting and useful and and present in your games i wanted to say everyone thanks so much for listening and with that we'll do a few patreon shout outs uh fraser simons jason pitt donahue mccarthy joshua black space rhino i hope the space hamster is doing well mike amir nate brooms steve bissonette uh evil rich john just john 40 below jean lorbray lorbear i think that's how you say that james and dan simons or simmons uh, Chelsea Clark, Matthew Petrazuli, uh, Michael Schmidt, Robert Day, and Jonathan. I'm not sure there's no last name, so there's no last name, just Jonathan. All right, and speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, what a bargain! You not only get a shout-out, but you also get our pre-production show notes and an invite to our Misdirected Mark Slack channel, where all the cool kids are hanging out. Yeah, and you can really directly interact with me and Sean there. If you go at at Sean or at Chris, we will often be there quicker than we are on the G Plus community. For sure. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. They help even if you're not listening to us via Apple Podcast, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcast as their way to rate and rank shows, and that would make us more visible. And I just flipped through that the other day and thank you to all the people who have been uh, chiming in with reviews. We really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're very useful. Thank you. Maybe we'll read a few of those in the, in the coming weeks. Anyways, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Downward D&D G Plus community. Uh-huh. You can hit me up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter or on the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Wayne and Robert Aducci take a monthly deep dive into the dark sun setting and discuss it all across all editions of D&D, which episode 5 will be out very soon. And those episodes are really great. They really are.
Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mm. What are we going to do now, Sean? We are going to go kill some monstrous NPCs. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. 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 I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.